Good morning again. It is wonderful to be with you this morning to open up God's Word together uh, in, in a time of, of worship. And um, <laughs> our worship had a theme this morning, and uh, we talked about forgiveness. Uh, today we're going to be continuing in our study of uh, the Sermon on the Mountain. We have spent the last several weeks uh, talking about prayer. Uh, and, and, I, and I pray that your prayer life has, has been encouraged as mine has. And uh, uh, we've been asking God to align us with uh, His will. And last week we talked about praying for our needs. Uh, because God is the provider. Uh, he provides both our physical needs and our spiritual needs. And so our prayer life does not consist of informing God what we need. Uh, but it prepares us then for the answer to God's prayers. Uh, this is why no is such an important answer to our prayer life sometimes. Because when God answers us no, uh, sometimes our prayer life is just so that we understand why. Uh, why God told us no or wait. Um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to clip this back on. There we go. Uh, and so today we're going to be talking about forgiveness. Uh, maybe you're here today. God will show you what forgiveness is, because we live in a world that is relatively uh, unforgiving. Uh, we, we, we praise people who hold grudges and are unmoving. And the fact of the matter is simple as this. Is as Christians, we cannot be this way. First, we must understand that there is a criteria for forgiveness. Uh, we cannot truly understand forgiveness without first Christ forgiving us. We, we gain our understanding of forgiveness through Christ. Secondly, we ask ourselves, who deserves forgiveness? Who deserves to be forgiven? And third, we have to reconcile our forgiveness with others because it's a, cry, it's a call that Christ has put on our lives. And these seem like daunting things, and I hope that this verse gives us a clear picture of what our prayer life will look like. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And as we have done the last several times, we are going to read the entirety of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but I want you to uh, focus with me here on verse 12. Uh, so if you have Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 9. If you have found it and you are able to this morning, would you just stand with me uh, in the honor of reading of God's Word this morning? Matthew chapter 6, verse, 12, or verse 9. God's Word says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, before we even get into anything, Lord, I pray that right now, God, you be with with Jerry's neighbor's father who. Uh, we, we, we just heard as they left that their neighbor's house was on fire, God. We just pray for that situation. And Lord, we just pray for the family that is being affected right now. And Lord, as we look at this scripture, Lord, God, I pray the Father, first and foremost, God, you allow your scripture to speak this morning. Speak it alive and well as it is. God, I pray today that you might take me, hide me behind the cross, Father, that I pray that what people hear today is you speaking to them. God, I pray today that as we begin to speak on forgiveness, Lord, you show us and help us understand what forgiveness looks like and what forgiveness is. God, I pray that, Father, as we go into this time, you would open our hearts and our minds to just receive the message for which you have for us. Father, we love you. 
And we thank you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you, when you walked in this morning, uh, had to pay for the pew that you're sitting in? Did anybody have to pay? All right, good. I'm glad we don't have anybody scalping pews uh, in here. Uh, but did you know that before the late 1800s, to sit in a pew, you would essentially have to pay for it. You rented it from the church. Uh, and this is why it's, it's so ingrained in our minds that the pews we sit in is our pew. And if somebody sits in our pew... They're sitting in our pew. That's wrong. It's Baptist. I got to get it out. Uh, <laughs> we used to have to pay for our pews. And there was a man who challenged all of it and structured our more modern tithing system as, as, as what we would look at for today. He goes by the name of a man by the name of George Mueller. And he was born in 1805 in Prussia, uh, which oddly enough is where Brittany's family is from. Uh, Mueller was different. He challenged a lot of the traditionalist ideas that were in his church, uh, including the renting of pews and the underfunding of orphanages. Uh, Mueller was known as one who spent his whole life uh, in prayer. People that would talk about him, people that would understand him would say that this man spends his entire life in prayer. In fact, Dr. Melvin Banks, uh, who wrote one of Mueller's biographies, recounted a time in which he wrote that in which Banks wrote, uh, this man would feed over 2,000 orphans on prayer alone. And uh, you imagine if we said that today? Uh, if, we, if we just said that somebody was fed on prayer alone, it'd be a, a funny thought to us. Uh, but Banks would write about how Mueller, standing with the Bible open to the promises of, of God to Moses uh, to provide for them food, he would beg God to provide for the orphans in the exact same way. And miraculously... Food would just show up. People would bring food and there, were, there would be an enormous amount of food to the point where the orphans... Imagine that. Orphans with leftovers. And food would just show up. He preached a sermon entitled Marvelous Grace and in it he said this. He said, there is even the possibility that the greatest thief, the greatest robber, the vilest person that has ever lived under heaven can obtain forgiveness for his crimes. There is grace found in God since He is the God of all grace that whatever amount of grace is needed to be had from Him, it is found. And God, the greatest sins. This is a beautiful picture of grace and of forgiveness. And there's a great reason <coughs> that these verses that we look at today, forgiving, forgiveness is included in our prayer. And it simply comes to this. Forgiveness is the center of our relationship with God. Forgiveness is the center of our relationship with God. And, and what I love is Keith had, no, Keith had no way of knowing what I was going to preach on this morning. And I love how we talked about grace this morning. And you know what? We, we, we focus in so heavily in Sunday school on what this idea of why God saved us. We'll never understand grace purely. We could come up with a lot of theories and, you know, by... We try to, you know, look at all these things, but the simple fact of the matter is, is that God didn't need us, but we needed God. Look at verse 12 with me. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us of our 
debts. This word forgiveness means afiome. Uh, uh, it means to dismiss, to depart, to cancel, to reject. Uh, there are many words, but first and foremost, we use this word to say Christ forgive our debts. God forgive our debts. This is a, a, a partial term. This forgiveness isn't just a, well, I kind of do. You ever deal with kids on the playground when, when, when something goes wrong and they ask you, Billy, did you forgive Sally? Well, kind of. That's not this kind of forgiveness. This forgiveness talks about a to- total forgiveness, an erasure uh, of things. God, forgive us. Erase our debts. Make them so they didn't even exist. Which we can't do today. Even, even if you get a credit card, you pay it off. Guess what? There's still record of that credit card. There's still record of that. This isn't a situation where you, you give partial forgiveness. No, apame means to be gone, to be dismissed. Imagine that you're in a courtroom and, and the only piece of evidence, the, per, the prosecuting attorney takes the only piece of evidence that you have in front of you and just sets it on fire in the middle of the courtroom. It's gone. It can't be used anymore. That's the thought. This forgiveness is, is an erasure. You know, when I, something I always used to do at youth camp, and I would make them write down what their greatest struggles was. We'd take pieces of paper and we'd write down what their greatest struggles was. And I would start a big fire. And I would tell them, toss it in the fire. And once it, once it started lighting, I'd look at them dead in the eye. I'd say, all right, go pick it up. That look of horror in their face. I say, go pick it up. They would look at me. But you see, this is a perfect illustration of what happens. You see, when Christ forgives us, there is nothing to take back when it is cast into the fire. The fact is, we rebuild it in our lives based on the dependency to it. When we give stuff to God, it erases it. Forgive us these debts, it erases it. But we often manifest it back in our own lives because of our own dependency on it we take it back we try to take it back say god i need that back you you can't have that god we try to take it back and we rebuild it in our lives you see what forgiveness is is an erasure of and the criteria for forgiveness comes from two different kinds of forgiveness the first kind is that we talk about this daily repentance of sin that we talk about Martin Luther once held a a priest in confession for over six hours recounting every single sin that he had done in the previous week. Just one week. He held this man in, in confession for six hours. And he writes this. Uh, uh, <laughs> once he was finished, he felt pride managed to confess every single one of them. So this poor priest was leaving. He grabbed this priest and put him back in the confessional to start over. <laughs> he, he felt these sins. So we talk about this daily repentance of sin. You see, we do not require a priest to intercede on our sins because Christ already has. Christ has passed into that priesthood into ourselves because He created the bridge between God and man so that we do not have to go through a third party to intercede for us. We go directly and take directly to God. Our daily repentance. And He has restored man to commune with God. But you see, this is the bigger kind of forgiveness that has to take place first. 
There has to be a forgiveness of a restoration. This restoration. When we talk about being born again, I loved, I loved what Keith talked about this morning. We talk about being born again. You are to be regenerated by something that is unearthly. That, 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 that word again coming from heaven. That born, that regeneration that comes forth from only from otherworldly, from heavenly aspects. And as you dive into it more, you realize that there's only one person that is offered through. That's through Jesus. It comes directly through Jesus. It doesn't come through, through Buddha or Muhammad. It doesn't come through any of the others. It comes directly through Jesus. There has to be that restoration first before we can have that daily restoration. You see, one thing I, one, one thing I noticed about teenagers is that they would, they would go and they, they say, Jesus, I'm sorry about things, but they would never trust Jesus fully. They try to repent of things without a relationship with Jesus first. It's like trying to cook an omelet when you ain't had any eggs. There has to be the restoration first. You see, in order to be forgiven, we must first know who is the forgiver. We can't be forgiven unless we know who the forgiver is. Without salvation in Christ, we cannot and we are not forgiven in the basis of our nature. Because there's nothing I can do to earn it. You know, I could sit there, I could sell everything I had. I could feed a million homeless people. I could give every cent I have to orphans. I could give all of my entire being to being a good person. But you know what's going to happen when I die? Depart from me. I never knew you. It's only because of Jesus that we can understand what forgiveness is, that we can earn any kind of grace. And we, 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 uh, that's the wrong word. We don't earn it. See, that's the point of grace is we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It was given freely to us. Mm. In order to pray this, forgive us our debts, we must first and foremost have a saving relationship with the forgiver. Then, we have this erasure, this destruction, this erasure of our sins. In fact, when you look at this word debts here in the Greek is uh, ophiliame, and it means a monetary debt. But when you look at it in Aramaic, it means sin, which we know what sin is. We, we talk about sin. Romans teaches us that the wages of sin is death. It doesn't say the wages of sin is a great life. It doesn't say the wages of sin is a headache. It doesn't say the wages of sin is a, is a party time. Wages of sin is death. What we have earned for ourselves, what we have accumulated, that word wages, that accumulation, is nothing but an eternal separation and death. Our earnings of sin is death. When God told Adam and Eve the punishment for eating a fruit would be death, you saw that it wasn't instantaneous, but it was an eternal death separated from, 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 from God for the, for, the, for the sin of entering into the world. You see, the fact of the matter is, is hell is very real. And there are a lot of people marching their way straight there because they do not have a relationship with Jesus. But this verse teaches us, if one thing, God is faithful to, to forgive because His Son has already paid the debt that we owed. 
God is faithful to forgive because Jesus has already paid the debt that we owed. When, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sin of the world upon himself. So that whoever shall come to him, whoever shall put their faith and trust in Jesus shall be saved. The second part is, is who is who deserves to be forgiven. And I hope that you've been reading Gentle and Lowly. I really do. If you do not have a copy of this book, please pick one up when you leave. Please. He says this. Christ was not sent to mend wounded people or to wake sleepy people or to advise confused people or to inspire bored people or to spur on lazy people or to educate ignorant people. But listen to this. He was sent to raise dead people. You see, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sin. You know, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus just isn't understanding, it's because he was spiritually dead. We were all in a state of spiritual deadness before forgiveness. You see, that forgiveness that comes was not because we somehow were better than our neighbor. It was not because we were somehow holier than our neighbor. It was not because of anything that we could have done ourselves. It was because God offered grace through His Son, Jesus. And He came to raise dead people. He raised me. Has He raised you this morning? Who is worthy? Who deserves to be forgiven? The simple answer to that is not a single one of us. Not a single one of us deserve it. But yet we were still offered. It Christ, who deserves forgiveness? Was it the righteous, the pious, the elites? Dane said it was, it was a, that Christ came to raise the dead people through the forgiveness that only He can offer me. So this brings us to our second part is we forgive our debtors. We forgive our debtors. It's forgiven is the same word. It means to dismiss, to eradicate, to, to, to no longer be in existence of. But here's where this gets complicated. You know, we, we talk about, Pastor Clay, these people have wronged me. These people have done something against me. To be a debtor means that you are owed something. And so some, in some way, shape, or form, there, there's something that we've, we've been owed to. And if we're honest, it's human nature to just get this way. You know, a lot of people I talk to, they have hate in their heart for someone that they've, who they've been called uh, to forgive, to erase, to dismiss. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, but Clay, you just don't understand. Clay, you're just naive. That's not the way the world works. Yeah, I know. But it's the way that Christ commanded we work. It's not the way the world works, but it's the way that Christ commanded that we work. For if we only love those who love us, what good is that? Even the Gentiles do that. You see, in our first forgiveness, Christ offered us something so radical and misunderstood that people have fought wars over it. You see, in our salvation, God offered us grace through His Son. And we didn't earn this grace. We didn't deserve this grace. And God offered us this grace because He was teaching us for right here, so we can offer grace against those who have wronged us, against our debtors. 
Since we have this, this problem with dealing with people, is to offer to our debtors to forgive people when they have wronged us. This is probably one of the hardest things you'll have to do. Somebody who has really wronged you, it's probably one of the hardest things you will ever have to do is forgive them. You want to know why I know that? Because I've been through this. I hope, you, I hope you haven't, but I know that you probably have. Look here, skip with, me, skip with me to verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Christ was not teaching that we earned God's forgiveness by forgiving others. That's not what this verse teaches. But what this verse does teach is if we have truly, truly experienced God's forgiveness, God's grace, then we will have a readiness to forgive others, to extend grace to others. No matter what they've done to us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You see, they will not answer to you in the end. That's just it. No matter what the decision is, your call is to forgive them as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Your call is to forgive them. So that decision, that judgment, no longer rests with you. They're going to have to answer to God. Or, if they have been saved, they're going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus still. There will be a reconciliation. But you see, forgiveness comes down to a matter of fellowship. We talk about this word in the church a lot, of fellowship. I love fellowship. But the fact of the matter is that we cannot be in right fellowship with God if we are not in right fellowship with His people. Hear that again. We cannot be in right fellowship with God if we are not in right fellowship with His people. You don't have to look far on the internet to see people, to see Christians who are ruining their witness because they would rather be right than biblical. <laughs> they harbor no forgiveness in their hearts and they spew this bitterness. I'll be honest. <laughs> we talk about forgiveness. This is God wrestled with me this week. This was, this was one of them weeks where God wrestled with me. But like I was in the wilderness, God's touching my hip, knocking it all out of place. I had to erase two pages of my sermon and rewrite it. Because God was working on me. God was working on me. <laughs> if you are a Christian, there is no room for bitterness in your life. There isn't. You cannot continue on. But listen, Christ forgave you without bitterness. There's no, there, there's no room for bitterness in our hearts. you imagine that? you imagine if Christ was bitter? you imagine when one day when you pass away, you stand before Jesus and Jesus is like, brother, man, I regret. I regret going to the cross for you. That ain't going to happen. That's never going to happen. If you're a Christian, there's no room for bitterness in your hearts. I was talking to a one man when I worked... Uh, when I worked for the Hope Line, I was a Christian crisis counselor. And, um, I talked to this young man, and uh, his mother had been murdered. 
by this man who, through one way or another, went to jail and, and was coming up on trial. But in between the time of the murder and the trial, he had given his heart to the Lord. In between this time, he had given his heart to the Lord. And, and this, this young man could not, could not rationalize this. He, he, he said, the God I believe in would not forgive this man. He said, the God I believe in would send this man straight to hell for what he has done to me and my family. And I said, I think you're a little confused. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about grace a little bit. But he still fought with me on it. He didn't feel that this man was worthy of salvation and that no amount of Savior would have, would have, would have saved this man. You know anybody like that? Jesus wasn't enough. Golly, it'd take an army of Jesus to forgive me. I remember. Never mind. <laughs> I talked to this young man for several hours. I'll, I'll share that later. And I remember sharing with him Ephesians 4.30, uh, which says this. Says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God uh, for whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Let all and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now he's talking to the church in Ephesus to forgive one another because there are divisions that are trying to arise. There are dissensions that are beginning to arise here. And what is happening is this young man cannot forgive a brother in Christ. Because in his mind, Jesus was not enough. And we finally got to the realization that this young man had no idea who Jesus was. This young man thought he knew who Jesus was. But he had no idea who Jesus was. Now I'm going to tell you, not out of boasting, but my nickname at the Hope Line was Billy Graham. Uh, because I would always share Christ. And, and again, I share that not to boast. And In fact, I, that, that follows me today when people still call me that. Uh, it bothers me because I can kind of not Billy Graham. I do not live up to his legacy at all. Uh, but, uh, in fact, if you want my honest opinion, I was terrible at this job. We, we had like scripts we were supposed to read. I didn't read any of them. I was terrible at this job. Um, I was a lone wolf. But this young man, after several hours, accepted Jesus. And I remember... That night, he felt this, he began to feel things. And I, I ended up talking to him two weeks later because he was still struggling with this bitterness. And I told him, I said, I want you to think of the worst thing that you ever did. The worst thing that you've ever done in your life. And he said, Christ saw you in that moment and still forgave you. He saw you in that moment and he still forgave you by the same grace that was offered to this man. You see, we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. This man did not deserve grace. He was given grace freely through Jesus. He simply abandoned himself in his sins. You see, the last thing is that we must reconcile forgiveness with ourselves so that we can offer it to others because that's what Christ has called us to do in our lives. It's a call to forgive because simply this, Christ forgave you. God forgave you. Who are you? Who am I to say that person is not worthy? Because you know what? Neither was I. <laughs> I was probably the least worthy person that Jesus could have chose. 
And yet he still saw it. He still saw this to offer me grace, to offer me salvation through that. Listen, if he can offer it to me, he can offer it to anybody. He can offer it to the worst person that is in the jail system right now. Because he sees things a little differently than we do. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. I'll close with this. He said on forgiveness. He's talking about forgiveness and he's talking about how many times are we to forgive? Seven times seven. And Christ said to Peter, we have not yet reached that. If we have, let us begin another 70 times seven. For God has forgiven us countless numbers of offenses. I love what Spurgeon wrote in this. He's saying, he's going back to when, when Jesus and Peter were having a conversation. He says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive this man? He says, should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus says, no, 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 70 times, seven times. And we take that as saying, woo, I can just, I can forgive him that many times and we're done. But I love what Spurgeon says in this. He says, if you run out of that, start over and start counting again. Because that's how many times Christ forgave us. Oh, that'll preach. That'll preach. We're called to forgive us our debts. We we cry to God, forgive us of our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors. The only reason we can forgive is because of Jesus. The only reason that we can forgive is because of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning. And you've never accepted, you've never asked for that first forgiveness. You've never been extended true forgiveness from Jesus before. I'm going to encourage you this morning. Here in a moment, we're about to have a time of invitation. And I'm going to do something a little different invitation, and we'll get to that. If band, you want to go ahead and start making your way up. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus before. What I'm going to encourage you, here in just a moment, we're going to have a time of what's called a time of invitation. There's nothing special about this time. This time is not the only time. It is simply an opportunity that we are providing you to talk with God. We have several decisions that we talk about in a church. Whether that's calling forth for forgiveness for the first time of salvation, believing the Lord and Savior Jesus because He loved and cared for you so much that He went to the cross and died to take all of that sin so that you might be offered grace for no reason other than the fact that God willed it. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But God saw fit in our eternal death, in our eternal separation when we were dead to our trespasses to send His Son Jesus so that we might be bridged and have an eternal life through Him. Maybe that's the kind of decision you need this morning. Maybe you've already accepted Jesus. Maybe if you're honest, you've lost focus a little bit. Maybe you've come to this point in your life where you, 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 you understand who Jesus is, but you've lost focus. I want to challenge you this morning to recommit your focus. Maybe you're looking for a church family. Maybe God's calling you into ministry. Maybe God is moving and working in your life to say, you are going to serve me in your life. Here in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I want you to know this altar is going to be open. It's going to be an opportunity. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. It's going to be an opportunity for you to hear from God. As we sing the old rugged cross, let us remember what the cross offered us. Not because we deserved it 
because God willed it.